Koinonia, Christian fellowship, communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is Community. And now, your host, Tom Brown. This is Koinonia Radio. You keep the music going for a little bit. It's not really my style of music necessarily, but that's all right. I guess that's what people at the 2 o'clock hour are like. <laughs> Way to start off the show by insulting your audience. Nah, but if this is at the 10 o'clock hour, I could request some uh, hip-hop music, you know, something like that. Not really like that, but you know. Yes, this is Quinnania Radio, 1360 KPXU, Faith Talk. But I am not Tom Brown, as you may have guessed. I am Vocabalone, a special guest, and I am pleased to be guest hosting today's show. But whenever I guest host, I love to have on friends. I've got a friend today. His name is Super theologian. Some people call him Super Theo. Before I introduce him, though, which I kind of already have, let me introduce today's show. Comic books have been making a comeback, haven't they? They've been making a comeback in the movies, but it's affected everything. Now, you know, your grandma knows who the Green Lantern is, you know? And if you're really lucky, she might even know his, uh, his little chant there, you know? It's unlikely, but it's possible. Whereas before, it probably wasn't possible. My point is that in the pop culture consciousness now, superheroes are no longer relegated to the backwaters of the nerd world. They are now in the mainstream. See what I did there? Backwaters mainstream? Booyaka! What? Crazy. So uh, that's how I do it on Koinonia, guys. That's why Tom Brown has me on. He pays me just for the puns. But check it out, man. We are going to ask this question in light of a movie coming out this Friday. Um, if this is reran, uh, it'll be a recently released movie. I'm not saying you should watch it, but it sparks an interesting theological question. Why are we attracted to villains? That's today's topic. We're going to talk about these comic book villains. What about them appeals to us? And we're going to get deep into it, a theological analysis. Yes, the show will be fun, but it's going to try to set a model of a way to, through a biblical worldview, analyze things that happen in cultural trends so Christians can know better how to engage the culture. That's what we want to do. Faith Talk Radio's uh, kind of motto is called Connecting Faith and Life, and we're going to do that today by God's grace here. So what's up, my main man, Kyle Howard, a.k.a. Super Theo. Welcome to Koinonia Radio with Vocab Malone. How you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me on. It's truly a privilege. I appreciate it. All right. Where are you calling us from today, man? I am in Louisville, Kentucky. Well, why are you in Louisville? Why you live there for? <laughs> I am a, a seminary student here at uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, how far along are you? What are you studying? Yep, I did my undergrad in uh, biblical counseling, and I'm currently doing uh, advanced master's in historical theology. So when you're done, what would you like to do next? I'm looking forward to planning a multi-ethnic church, uh, maybe either in, in here in Louisville or maybe somewhere else. Uh, my desire is to plant a church, to train up future leaders for the church, and to do so in a context where I'm able to build a church of all cultures uh, where Christ, Christ is king. Right on, man. Are you uh, from New York originally or what? 
I'm originally from Atlanta. I have a lot of family who's uh, from New York. I spent a lot of time in New York that I kind of adopted the culture, the accent and all those kinds of things. But uh, technically, I'm, I, I hail <laughs> from uh, Stone Mountain, Georgia. Of all How places. can people find you on the Internet? Uh, Corm Deo podcast is my own uh, podcast that I have, um, as well as on Twitter at Kyle James Howard on Twitter. All right, Kyle James Howard on Twitter. Coram Deo, that's C-O-R-A-M-D-E-O podcast. We're going to be talking to, do you mind if for this show I call you Super Theo, man? Because it kind of fits today, man. It's mad awkward. We have to explain the context of that, but if that's explained, I'm fine with it. All right, well, I'll let you explain the concept behind Super Theologian. When we come back, Kyle Howard, today's guest, one of his internet handles is Super Theologian. We're asking the question today on Quinania. Vocab is the guest host. So I'm asking the question as I talk to him. What about comic book villains appeals to us? Why do we like the Joker? Why do we like the Riddler? Why do we like Clayface? If, if you like Clayface, you know. See you in a bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What up, y'all? This is Vocab Malone. You are listening to Koinonia Radio, Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Whenever Tom Brown lets me fill in, I do tend to take the show in a little bit of a different direction. Um, so you know something about me, it kind of makes sense. My background is hip-hop culture, you know, came up rapping uh, and all that stuff. And uh, got into my, my kind of started revisiting my childhood in my 30s. And I got back into nerd stuff and 80s nostalgia and pulp culture and that type of thing. And I love to theologically analyze those things. And I think it's relevant. I think that Christians want to become adept at sort of reading the culture so then they can come up with strategies to effectively evangelize. Now, the gospel doesn't change. All right, that message is the same. That's not what today's show is about. We're not saying that if you don't know Batman's real name, you can't be a good Christian that's not what we're saying today's show. However, we are saying that uh, it can behoove us to see what's going on, pop culture trends, and try to say, why is this? And then, and then ask how the gospel answers the questions there. So to do that, I have on Super Theologian, a.k.a. Super Theo. Go ahead, man. Explain your name. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those names that can be kind of awkward without context. Like, know this guy did not just call himself a th- super theologian. <laughs> and so uh, basically, uh, a while back, I created a, a Twitter parody account called The Super Theologian. And by parody, what I mean is basically um, I take on the uh, woe of a, a, a Christian who has developed super theological powers. Uh, my Twitter handle reads, Super Theologian, empowered by the Holy Spirit with theological superpowers, it is I whose duty it is to fight for biblical truth and sound theology. And so basically the Twitter handle is me posting as if I was a guy from the uh, urban community, a black uh, Christian who got hit with the media and now is like the super theologian. He can see through poorly constructed theological arguments, uses laser beam to burn books, um, heretical books and those kinds of things. And so it's kind of a comedy parody that I did kind of as fun. And then it exploded to um, having several thousand uh, followers. And then I ultimately ousted myself. And once I started my podcast, because I didn't want, I didn't think that I could be a, uh, be teaching in a public platform without people actually knowing who I am and verifying my character. And so I revealed my name, Kyle Howard. I still use the parody. It's still kind of a funny thing to do, but my podcast is under my actual real name, real identity, and those kinds of things for the sake of accountability. So you did the whole... Tony Stark thing at the end of Iron Man. 
I am Iron I Man. That is basically exactly what I did, except for I didn't get the publicity that Tony Stark did, nor do I have his uh, power, wealth, all that good stuff. But you do have (laughs) some powers. What are some of your other powers you have, Super Theo? Yeah, so as I said, I have laser vision that can burn through uh, heretical books. I can see through x-ray vision that can see through poorly constructed theological arguments. I can fly anywhere. So my missionology game is on point because I can fly anywhere within a blink of an eye and share the gospel and, you know, in any kind of context. Of course, not being able to be killed in those contexts because I'm impenetrable is also helpful. And, uh, you know, various other kinds of things. I make up new superpowers as the days go by when I'm asked. And so <laughs> sounds like whatever, what they were doing. whatever your imagination can come up with, let me know, and I'll just add it to my repertoire. That's kind of what they were doing with the original Superman. You know, he, he just kind of starts gaining powers as he goes on. At first, he kind of just leaps, but then he can fly. You know, it's that's kind of how Superman developed in a lot of ways. Like, before you're done, he can kind of do everything. All right, so let's <laughs> do this. A movie's coming out. We are not saying that uh, you should watch this movie, but we've seen the trailer, and so we know what's up with the trailer. Um, We're not trying to give the movie free promo. This show is not about the movie per se. This show is about a trend that we see in culture. Uh, First of all, the superhero genre and the comic book genre come into life in multiple ways through multiple multiple media formats. I mean, you got – you know, the whole Marvel world thing going on at Disney. You got the movies. You got uh, just everything tied in in a new way, video games, et cetera, et cetera in a way that really wasn't as present in American culture until now. Now, along with that comes the rise of supervillains. You know, you always got to have arch nemesis. But there seems to be a turn lately towards sort of uh, dumbing down, we might call some of the superheroes, as well as kind of um, amping up the appeal of the villains themselves. And so to do that, let's set the stage first with explaining what this idea of Suicide Squad is. So this is for the uninitiated super theologian. What is a Suicide Squad in the first place? What is it from the comic book background of it? Yeah, so the Suicide Squad kind of developed out of a, I guess you could say, a logical inconsistency within the DC universe specifically. And by DC universe, I'm referring to Superman, Batman, um, The Flash, all the superheroes that come out of DC Comics. And one of the fundamental questions that was asked is, okay, they keep arresting these people, but then the people are released again. So what's happening? How are they keep getting out? And the Suicide Squad was the answer to that. But it basically showed it was this hidden story within the universe that basically said when once these villains were captured, they were brought into a certain a specific kind of program um, that was uh, it was kind of like an underground CIA kind of thing. And what would end up happening was basically they would take the most not- notorious villains, um, they would put implants in their head, which basically were like micro bombs that were put in their head so they could detonate at any time and be killed, and told them like we're gonna use you to as covert operatives for even more wicked issues that are going on in the world and that way if something happens to you you're expendable we don't care you're already on death row you're 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 a menace to society and so they would use villains to stop villains in order to preserve the heroes from after having to be in harm's way or the police or the cia fbi being in harm's way and so the Joker, uh, Harley Quinn, uh, the various other characters that you'll find in this film were people, were villains who were used to be, um, to be in a sense, anti-heroes to stop people or stop situations that were more evil than they currently were in their present condition. 
And so that was kind of the uh, theme that when the Suicide Squad was this, these anti-heroes. It did it really sought to humanize them, and so it would give you the background stories to a lot of these villains and show try to show you that hey, yeah, these people are evil, they're bad, they've killed people, but there's reasons behind the madness, and there's and there's logic behind the madness. And so here it is, and it did so in a way where it sought to have you, in a sense, support the villains and see them as people who were actually, um, in, in a sense, root for them. And so instead of actually rooting for heroes against villains, you would root for villains against more wicked villains. And so that was kind of the goal. So there's a Suicide uh, Squad comic book, of course. Uh, you've read some of these stories. How is it? Um, it's it's kind of like, as I described. Um, I think that it takes unique perspective as a as a Christian because uh, you think of a uh, proverb seventeen fifteen that says anyone he who justifies the wicked, and also he who condemns the righteous is an abomination to the Lord. And so it's one of those comic books where there is a temptation to, in a sense justify the wicked. There's the, there's the attempt to justify the wicked, and I I, I think that that's bad, but I also think that there's there can be a helpful category of humanizing the wicked. I think one of the reasons why, in many ways, evangelicalism even has a history of, in some cases at least, being judgmental is because when we think of those who are openly wicked or who are openly unrepentant sinfully, there can be a judgmentalism that comes on them not recognizing the fact that these are still people who are made in the image of God. These are people who are still in need of grace and that no one is um, made up in a box, but there are certain reasons why people do certain things that they do, even if it is an expression of the heart. And so I think that it can be helpful for us to humanize villains and recognize their humanity but I think is a dangerous ground when you actually get to the point of actually seeking to root and even justify uh, their wickedness, which what the comic does try to do. So I think Christians need to be careful going into it. I would actually rate it as kind of an all-rated comic, um, not for anything like nudity or explicitly in that sense. But it is kind of it can be kind of violent. I I don't I don't watch I don't read it consecutively. I've only read a few articles. I'm familiar with the narratives uh, through other means. It's not something that I would necessarily recommend. Um, but it, I think that its purpose can be can be helpful if understood rightly. Right. So uh, some of this is getting into sort of the, uh, the darker world of comics. It's it's not the bright world of the Avengers. Um, some of the characters' names, and maybe we can pick a few to talk about: the Enchantress, Harley Quinn. Uh, there's two, of course. You, everybody's seen in the trailers, at least he's in the Suicide, suicide Squad this time around, is uh, the Joker. Uh, El Diablo, Deadshot, he's played by Will Smith there. Um, and, of course, you've got Killer Croc rocking the hood there, it looks like in the uh, trailers I see. Um, you also have uh, Katana, and it uh, looks like, I can't tell, Slipknot. Is good or bad in this? Uh, who else is? Uh, there's a few. There's a few more. I don't know if there's anyone you mentioned. Any particular characters you want to explain or talk about their importance when we start asking this question? If you're just now joining us, the reason why we're talking about Suicide Squad and comic book villains is movies coming out Friday, and I'm talking to Super Theologian as I fill in for Tom Brown here on Quinidia. My name is Vocab. I kind of do reintroductions every now and then, guys. Uh, we are asking this question, why do comic book villains have an appeal? What is the appeal? to? The, I mean, we're going – people are going to go see a movie comprised of villains in essence. 
Well, why is that? What, what, what is the appeal there is a question we're asking. But any particular ones you would like to discuss out of the Suicide Squad characters, at least the ones that are going to be uh, featured in the movie that uh, you find yeah. particularly interesting? Yeah, I think my hunch, and I think in many ways, either they're the ones who are most being broadcasted are Harley Quinn and Deadshot. Uh, some of that has to do with just Will Smith's uh, charisma as b- b- being Deadshot. But I also think that there's probably going to be a heavy emphasis on him as he, in the the comic narrative, started off as a supervillain, but over time has become more of an anti-hero where there's occasions where he will do something good. He will actually team up with uh, some of the superheroes and do something. And then there's other times where, again, he is an assassin. So he'll do he'll yes, he will kill people. Uh, typically, they're bad. He kills bad people. And uh, even with his background. And so there's this a, there is an attempt with him to say, like, yes, this, this guy is an assassin. And so he's evil, but he kills more evil people. And so therefore, there can be some sympathy for, again, even some justification for what he is doing. The same thing applies to Harley Quinn, though. She's a little bit more of a loose cannon in regards to um, her character and what she does. But uh, the same emphasis is played where you have somebody who – and she, just for the record, her comic book uh, series, I, which I have – I've read here or there, um, but not extensively for various reasons. Um, I would not recommend it to be honest. But she's it is one of the most popular selling series in all of DC Comics. It's, it's right up there with Batman and Superman in regards to actual sale numbers. Not only that, and, but if you go to any Comic-Con – Besides mm-hmm. another anti-hero, Deadpool, again, these are not really kid-friendly characters. The probably most cosplayed, that means the one who people dress up like the most, as far as what I've seen, is Harley Quinn. Harley mm-hmm. Quinn is sometimes described as the Joker's girlfriend, and my understanding is she uh, was like his psychiatrist who got corrupted by him while trying to fix him sort of thing. I left out one, it looks like in the mix, at least one, Captain Boomerang. And with that, we'll be right back. Get it, guys? Captain Boomerang, we'll be right back. We'll be right back on the other side here, talking to Super Theo, Vocab Malone, sitting in for Tom Brown, discussing Suicide Squad. And it leads us to a very interesting theological question today, which we're going to really start getting into in the next segment when we're back. Why do we like comic book villains? What's up, ladies and gentlemen? This is Vocat Malone. I'm sitting in today for Tom Brown on Quinnity Radio every Monday through Friday here. That means every weekday from 2 to 3 p.m. on 1360 KPXQ Faith Talk. Today we are asking what I think is a very intriguing question. Why do we like comic book villains? And to illustrate this point, because it's ultimately a theological point, it's a cultural point, but it gets into theology, which is why we're doing it. To illustrate this point, we point to a movie coming out this Friday called Suicide Squad. We just last segment ran down the list of characters in the Suicide Squad. And um, you know what? I think I I should play some background music. Yeah, I got some good uh, Batman hip-hop here in the background. That's good. (laughs) That's your intro there, Super Theo. Welcome back to Quinanillo. What's going on, Super Theo? How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. I think this is a very interesting uh, topic, especially when it comes to, in a sense, diagnosing the culture and being able to understand and engage with uh, what is the mood in which we are currently living in as a, as a society. Well, what's your theory about why comic book villains appeal to us? I know there's a number of reasons. We've discussed this before. But to the uninitiated, what about comic book villains appeals to us? Yeah, well, there's there's an age-old saying uh, that you are so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. 
And uh, I think that there's two elements to humans and our longing as it comes to uh, the narratives and stories. For one, we like the heavenly mindedness of having heroes that transcend us. In a sense, the, the messianic figures, the, the, the savior type figures who, uh, who swoop in, who are not like us, who are above us when it comes to their moral codes, when it comes to the, their ethics, when it comes to, you know, they're willing to put themselves on the line and sacrifice their lives for others. We're compelled and we're drawn to that because of the, the, the story of Christ. I think it's the, I think this, the, the salvific or the story of Jesus is so central to human existence that all of our narratives surrounded. In the same sense, we still do desire those who we are actually more relatable to. The truth of the matter is, is that we as fallen sinners, as, as, as creatures, we have in many ways more in common with the Joker than we do with Superman. And uh, it's when we come to terms with that reality that we actually see the preciousness of Christ. And so I think that our longing for to uh, actually be intrigued by villains and actually, in a sense, even relate to some extent to villains in their background stories is actually a longing that we have to hear narratives in which we can identify with. Let me read something from a, a book tagging on to that called God on the Streets of Gotham. It's a good book. And I think it's interesting how he analyzes. Now, he's focusing a little bit more on the Joker and Christopher Nolan series, but it's still the Joker in general, speaking about comic book villains and why they appeal to us. Listen to this. While other evildoers look to impose order, their order, on the world, the Joker strives for chaos. They want to build. He wants to obliterate. They twist. He annihilates. He represents not the darker inclinations of our fallen selves, but the fall itself. Our impulse to destroy, to rebel, to fight against everything and everyone, to take what is and turn it into what was, to pull down whatever's pure and noble and true and leave it a smoking, shattered wreck. The Joker is filled with emptiness, lit with darkness. He speaks to infernal impulses to wipe away everything even ourselves commentary on that paragraph in relationship to the joker super theo yeah i, I think that, that there is definitely and, and i think that we're seeing that i mean even in this <laughs> i don't want to get you know pull open a can of worms or anything but even in this election cycle i think there was we're seeing these things you know play out that i that when i remember i'll never forget and i mentioned to you this to you earlier i'll never forget when i first went to go see the dark knight and I first heard the Joker's laugh, and I was already... It made you cringe. Like this? And then you... I just, I just had the Joker's laugh in there real quick, but go <laughs> ahead. That's from the cartoon, but go ahead. I'm listening. Yeah. yeah, and so you had that, and then you, but then you heard the Joker's logic, and you saw what the Joker was pursuing, and his whole ambition was to prove that, everyone, that no matter how good somebody was, that he could ultimately make them like himself. You know, and uh, and that was the major thrust of the whole film, and I and I think that 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 is very true. I think that there is this kind of inner um, compellingness that we have towards people who, again, we actually are able to identify. And as I said, I think that in some ways there's kind of an irony with with uh, comic book readers as they're reading stories of Batman and Joker. And where their desire is everyone wants to be Batman, everyone wants to be Batman. But the reality is we actually have more in common with Joker. You know, apart from the regenerating work of God and the transforming power of Christ, that is the reality of our lives. And so we read a story and we can read comic books. And even though we have a longing to be like, 
the heroes, we actually in many ways identify more as the villains. It almost seems like what you're saying there is part of the reason why comic book villains appeal to us is because we are more like them than we are superheroes. Now, I think that gets into something that you and I might call total depravity. And that doctrine does not mean that we're depraved as we could be. It simply means that in every area of our life as humans, there's a rottenness at the core of it, sometimes called radical. That means down to the root, basically, radical depravity. There's sin affecting everything, even our rational faculties. Indeed, theologians call that the noetic effects of sin. Let me read another paragraph from this book, God on the Streets of Gotham, about the Joker that I think goes into what you just said. He lives to eliminate... He's beyond reconciliation. Knowing he can never create as God does, he can only destroy. And so, as much as is in his power, he just wants to watch the world burn. Unlike Lucifer, we really have no idea where the Joker comes from in the dark night, why he is like he is, or does what he does. He comes in on a cloud of chaos, it would seem, a force of will more than man. And, um, yeah, that's interesting how there's... We have a rebellious nature, Scripture says. The Bible actually calls humans outside of Christ, and that's everyone before they're born again, like you mentioned, sons of disobedience, children of wrath. We are children of disobedience, sons of wrath. You could flip it. I mean, the things are true about us. We are like a race of rebels. And who do we rebel against? The king. We do not want to do what the king wants us to do. And so there's that sort of anarchist streak that in a way we have against against our own God, against our own God we have. And we see that in the Joker against all authority, all power in a very real way. And perhaps there's part of us that envies the Joker's ability to do this and get away with it and relish in it. But but he's not a constructive character. He's not building anything, even like the the, the Kingpin and Daredevil. At least he's building something. Now, it's not good. It's a, it's a negative empire, sort of, you know, uh, like a mafia type thing. But nonetheless, he's building something. The Joker is the opposite. So uh, out of what I just said, I mean, do you think it's true that we can say, and this is what I think our first point is, part of the reason comic book villains appeal to us is because we're kind of like them. Is that what we're saying? It is, and, and and I think it's many ways it's somewhat subtle. We don't, and we we read and we and we're compelled, but we don't necessarily understand why. And I think it's the Christian who's actually able to go and read read these stories and understand both the aspects of the heroes and why we are drawn to them. But the Christian is also the one who's able to read the stories of the villain and why, and understand why we are drawn to them. And in that, actually find Christ when we read these things and find the grace of Christ as we read um, even comic books, as we recognize that, hey, there was a time when I most identified with the villains. Right. So is there a way we can read a villain who seems to have no redeeming qualities and still find a theological truth that is helpful? I mean, can we do that? You know, not every story arc has a Darth Vader moment where he turns against the emperor, you know. And uh, th- oh, throws his overlord into the pit and sort of saves his son. Not not all uh, not all villains have those redemptive moments. So can we still learn something from them? If so, super theologian, what what can we learn from the villains? 
I think that we can learn a couple things. For one, we learn the reality that there is a Darth Vader, and then there isn't, (laughs) even as we live. I mean, I I have friends who have walked away from the faith. You know, I have those who have died in unbelief. And so there is the reality that even in, in real life that there are those who do have Darth Vader moments. I wouldn't be talking if I didn't myself. And yet there's also a need to be watched for and a need of urgency, recognizing that there are those who ultimately do resist the gospel until the end and do resist temptation until the end. And to some extent, I think that one of the things that come to my mind is when I think about the anti-heroes, um, some of the which you're going to see in the Suicide Squad movie, that's what you're, you're, you're looking at. You're seeing someone who, in a sense, is on the precipice. They're on that edge where they they, are, they understand the goodness of the law. They under they, they now are seeing a sense of morality and those kinds of things, but they're still playing with their sin. They're still playing with their rebellion. And I think one of the reasons we're drawn to that is because we want, we're rooting for them. We're like, we want them to fall over. <laughs> we want them to give themselves fully over. We want them to become heroes. And so I think that we can learn from these people uh, how reality itself plays out. And as we look at people that we know, as we look at the stories of the people we know, if there was not a Darth Vader, if there was not a supervillain who was redeemable, then it'd be hard to look at supervillains and have any kind of sense of hope. But we're compelled as we read these stories to know how they will unfold. Will this person always be a supervillain? Is there an opportunity of redemption? Will it be presented to them? What will they do in that situation? And as we take that from these these this, these narratives that are from comic books, we then can take those and apply them to our own lives. And, and they even humanize the various influences and, imp- and people that we know in our own lives. And I think it can actually motivate us to evangelism. Especially if we believe that for the most wicked of villains, someone like Darth Vader, there is the possibility of redemption. I got some uh, Star Wars music now in the background. Perfect timing for the Darth Vader. The little lightsabers and everything. Now let me ask you this. What is the danger of enjoying the comic book villain too much? Is there a danger in a culture and in us individually who says, you know, I enjoy this Joker guy. Kind of, you know, you know what I'm saying? What's the danger there, super theologian, in liking the villains? Yeah, I think the danger there um, is comes from, again, Proverbs 17, 15, really rings true to me. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both like an abomination to the Lord. And um, you have also in Romans 1 where it says that anyone who gives hearty approval to those who do such things after listing a whole bunch of wicked deeds, that that's one of the things that they will be judged for on the last day. And so I think that there's a danger in these things to end up so in, in, in involved or so enthralled with these characters that we end up seeking to justify their wickedness. As opposed All right, let me to stop you there. Like, we'll put ahead. that thought on the other side of the, side of the break. Here with super theologian, Vocab Malone, sitting in for Tom Brown. We are asking the question in light of the Suicide Squad movie dropping this Friday. What about comic book villains appeals to us? And one answer we said is because we're kind of like them as sinners. And we got into the danger of liking them too much as well as what we can learn positively from them. When we come back, we can finish that thought if we want. But I also want to ask, what's going on with comic book movies turning heroes a little Mm. bit more into villains what's going on with that what about that trend super theologian will answer that on the other side of the break hey 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 this is koinonia radio my name is vocab malone guest host i do some stuff on a radio show called urban theologian radio check that out at urban theologian radio.com 
Also do some uh, hip-hop music every now and then at vocabmalone.com. That's me. We are asking the question today on Koinonia, why do comic book villains appeal to us? We've been talking about a movie dropping this Friday that features an all-villain cast, and the villains are portrayed in a sympathetic light. And to help answer that question of why comic book uh, villains appeal to us, I've been talking to Super Theologian, Super Theo, a.k.a. Kyle Howard. Where can people find you online? I want to make sure we give that information one more time. Yes, you can follow my uh, comedy parody, Super Theologian, at Super Theologian on Twitter. Um, my actual personal handle is at Kyle James Howard and on Twitter. And um, then if you want, you can follow that as well or listen to my podcast at Quorum Deo. That's, if you get any podcast catcher like iTunes or anywhere else, if you just type in Quorum Deo or Quorum Deo podcast, uh, my podcast would come up. And it's a, com- a podcast that deals with practical theology as well as questions related to biblical counseling. All right, now we're going to answer this next question here on our last full segment. We were asking why do comic book villains appeal to us, gave a couple different reasons. One is because we're kind of like the villains more than the superhero. But there's been a trend in movies lately, especially Batman, uh, Superman, you know, Batman versus Superman movie, where the comic book heroes start to look a little bit more like the villains. Now, I've got a book here in front of me. I read earlier from a book called God on the Streets of Gotham. So there are books about this, by the way, guys. Here's another one by Stephen Skelton called The Gospel According to the World's Greatest Superhero. Chapter 8, he talks about Superman, and he names some of his virtues and explains different examples of this. Humility, compassion, meekness, morality, mercy, purity, peacemaking, perseverance. There's some others as well that he mentions, and he gives examples of Superman's character. However, what's been happening with Superman now? Super Theo, what have they been doing with Superman? Well, first, let me commend you. I thought I was an actual comic book nerd, and there you are with these theological books on comic books characters, and so you definitely have me beat on that front. But uh, That's my I super think- weapon. That was my secret, that was my super, uh, secret power. <laughs> you didn't know no, you that. De- yeah. You definitely got me beat on that one, bro. So, yeah, when I think about it, it's actually – I think it's very, very interesting. I, w- I found it very intriguing when I watched Man of Steel first and I saw instead of uh, Clark Kent being raised by these uh, Midwest Christian parents, they were parents who were telling him, hey, let those kids jot in the bus. It's better that than you reveal your identity. They were those who were actually against his heroism and then you get to the Batman versus Superman and then both Batman and Superman are like – these characters that don't fit anything like you have Batman. Well, let me killing, stop which there. Is- let me stop you there real quick. Traditionally, how have Superman's parents been portrayed? You brought that up, but not everyone's the biggest nerd as us. So how have they been portrayed traditionally? Super Theo. Yeah. So Superman has been the quintessential uh, Christ-like figure when it comes to superheroes. He is, in many ways, his parents were Christian uh, pe- uh, people who grew up in the Midwest, kind of farmers, and they raised him with that kind of Midwest Christian ethic. And so Superman grows up, you know, with that background, and he grows up recognizing that in many ways he is he is seeking to fulfill that messianic role of the one whom he himself worshipped. Chris Superman was a Christian in the comics. And so he was a character who was this – he was known as the Boy Scout by all the others because he was just so morally upright and wouldn't do anything to compromise his his morality. And his parents were seen as being these bedrock uh, 
people of conviction and uh, and who taught him everything he knew about how and they raised him to be a Christ-like figure. They raised their son to be a messianic figure to humanity. And so he recognized that that was the role. Batman recognized that that was Superman's role. And so throughout their relationship, Batman recognized that Superman very much was a messianic figure. And he looked at Superman that way. Of course, in the comic books, the whole uh, fight that happens doesn't happen when they first meet. It happens about 40 years after they first meet when Batman is actually an old man. And it happens because Superman compromises his ethics and decides ultimately to sell out to the government. And Batman is seeking to remind Superman that, hey, there was a time where you were the savior of the people and now you're working against them. And so the tensions there are built upon Superman denying who he once was and Batman seeking and ultimately becoming disillusioned with Superman for abandoning his principles for the last few decades. And so... All of that is lost in the new movie, and the new movie makes it seem more like there are two guys who well, with tell big me, egos. Tell me, <laughs> what's the difference, say, in the new movie, the Superman versus Batman movie, or it's Batman versus Superman? What's different about this Superman? Uh, we talked about his parents and the Man of Steel mm-hmm. and then the way they raise him, uh, kind of the self-sacrifice aspect, it's zapped out in a lot of ways. But what about him personally? What's he doing that's different as well, both as Clark Kent and as Superman? How's he different? Yeah, well, for for one, he's sexually immoral. You know, there's a scene in the movie with him. Um, he's not married to Lois Lane, and yet they they make it abundantly clear that they're um, sexually involved. Um, and so that's something that goes against his character in the comics. He's he doesn't in this one he doesn't mind killing people, um, which would absolutely for him and Batman both go completely against their I- ideology. Who does you know, Superman the- kill? It's it, it's at the end of the Man of Steel movie. He he essentially breaks. Break Zod's spine. I mean, it's kind of that's how he kills him, and that's not Superman. He he doesn't kill people. And you got Batman. Uh, I think using guns, which Batman doesn't do, and Batman's killing some folks too. So they've changed both of them because people think of Batman as dark and gray and morally ambiguous. Okay, maybe, but Batman in the comics doesn't kill people. Yeah, and it, it's the one thing, that, the line that he refuses to cross, even to the detriment of many relationships, that people get so frustrated with him, and he has to tell them, like, look, I can't cross that line, because if I do, I'll never come back from it. So he he establishes this line that, I, that of not killing, which is why he never kills the Joker, despite the Joker's right. evil, he refuses to cave in. Um, but even in the Batman versus Superman, you, in the in the very first five minutes of the movie, more or less, you have Superman knocking this guy through a wall, <laughs> and with such force and power, it's hard to believe that the guy survived that impact. And um, and, and and just in the, the the whole mood of the Superman in this film is a man who is one haughty in spirit. He's one. He's a man who is very seems to be very arrogant, you know, within his powers, which again. The comic book Superman is a man who's very humble despite his powers, which is why he's a leader and why people look up to him. And, yeah, um, let me, and so even that on the, one specifically mentioned, just like Christ says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In Superman the movie, you hear Clark Kent have this exchange with his boss, Perry White. Perry, I've been in this news game 40 years, man and boy, and I got to where I am with guts, compassion, elbow grease, and something you're sadly lacking in, son. And Clark says, <laughs> um, humility? Perry says, no, not humility. You got bags of humility. So (laughs) he's known to being humble there. 
So not yeah, anymore, is, though. He's, he, he's cocky. He's arrogant. And he's kind of emo Superman, kind of moping around, doesn't really want to be Superman, morally ambiguous, has temper problems. You know, he's, he's, he, he's, not, uh, he's no longer a Boy Scout. Yeah, and I think it's important to recognize, and I think it's missed often with people, because I have a lot of, I've heard from people say that they don't like Superman, he seems boring, he never lo- and one of the things that needs to understand is that Superman was intentionally invented to be this a Christ figure, and so even the character traits that Superman had were very much those that were similar to, again, the Sermon on the Mount, and that's in, that was intentional, you know, for him to be this kid, and in some sense, for him to be boring, but someone who was uplifting and someone who everyone else looked to, and so all all that has been robbed, all that's been stripped away, you know, in this new series. And I'm, 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 I am interested to see how that's going to play out in the larger scheme. And I find it interesting the way that society has gone, where there was once a time when we wanted our heroes to transcend us as it relates to morality, ethics, and even the pursuit of, of peace and all those things. And it seems now we want even our heroes to be to be more like us in the sense of being flawed, in the sense of being those who are not always ethnically, ethically, excuse me, ethnically uh, con, uh, consistent regarding their ethics. And so I find that interesting, the direction in which society has gone as it relates to how we desire to have our heroes. Right. So it's kind of like a pulling down in certain ways. And it seems like the culture kind of wants this. So all of a sudden Superman, who we used to look at, as a paragon of virtue, and he was that quintessential messianic, uh, Christ-like figure. But it was done in a reverential way. It wasn't really done in like a mocking way, like you know, Superman's replaced Jesus. But but uh, that's changed, and people kind of wanted to change. It's like, well, that's boring now. But what's happened is with Superman, it's like they went too far. So people kind of want it to happen. It seems like they want to pull down the, the hero a little bit. But then if it goes down too far, they don't like it. What, what do you think about that kind of strange interplay happening in the culture? Yeah, well, I think it, I think it plays into the same thing that you see in Scripture, that there's no honor in a, in a prophet's household, where there's this desire. We, and, 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 I, and we see this, I think as Christians we see this, where everyone wants to talk about uh, morality. We all want upstanding people. We want people who have integrity and all those kinds of things. But when it all says and done, we, we, there's this inconsistency within humanity where we want those things. And when we find someone who actually embodies those things, uh, well, the man who embodied those things most perfectly was crucified. And so there is this reality where we we have a longing for examples. We have a longing to see presentations of what we want to be, yet at the same time when it has appeared before us, we don't want it because it condemns us. And so I think the same thing I would respond to how we look at heroes, where there was a time where, yes, and even now, we want these heroes that transcend us, that are better than us in many ways, but then when we actually see that, it actually is an indictment to us, and so it's like, no, wait, wait, wait. I, I don't want that. I want, I want to be entertained. I don't want to feel like I need to change. And so we desire our heroes to be dumbed down and more relatable so we don't feel challenged when we go to the theater or when we read a book, but rather we feel um, complacent. We feel a sense of, okay, I'm okay. All right, so what we've been talking about today, in case you're just joining us, is – why do comic book villains appeal to us? And we've talked about the rise of comic book movies 
and we talked about the rise of that general awareness in pop culture. We focus on the villain side of things because you see more and more anti-heroes coming forward as this genre explodes. And a great example is a Suicide Squad movie coming out uh, where you got uh, all these villains whom we mentioned, and it's a whole movie based around that now. And we're mentioning now how even some of the heroes in the mix that we traditionally know are also becoming more morally ambiguous as well. Now, ultimately, I think we see that as a potential negative trend, don't we? I think ultimately you have 30 seconds to answer that one. I think ultimately we see it as a negative trend. I think there can be some benefits as, again, the humanizing dynamic. But I also think that it's a, a, a diagnosis, you know, of our culture and right. where we are in a sense of uh, things. <laughs> yeah. And so when we come back, let's kind of wrap this up as well as let's give Christians a few tips about how to analyze culture and what good it can do them. You know, we've had this discussion, we've had the show, and I hope it's been a model of some potential ways to analyze trends around us instead of just, you know, going with the flow and saying, hey, that's cool, super, super, you know, kind of looking at it. Let's let's give Christians some tips on how to actually utilize this information analysis as they set strategic game plans in their churches and their families and their jobs, all that. We only have a few minutes to do that, but I think we could do that uh, briefly when we come back on the other side of the break. Vocab Malone, Super Theologian, don't go anywhere. This is our last segment here on Koinonia Radio. My name is Vocab Malone. I've been sitting in for Tom Brown today. We've been asking the question, why do comic book villains appeal to us? And to do that, I have joining us on Skype. This is the last segment, but he's been joining us on Skype. Super Theologian, a.k.a. Super Theo, a.k.a. Kyle Howard. So we've talked about this question, why they appeal to us. And we mentioned briefly how it really appeals to our sin nature in part. But there's still some positive things we can learn about it. There's still some dangers. We talked about the recent current trend to kind of turn the superheroes a little bit more into villain-ish in certain ways and vice versa. Now, if that's a cultural trend and it seems like it's not going to abate any time, Kyle, what can we learn from that? What do Christians do as they sort of try to become expert analyzers of the culture? What do we do with this information? Yeah, the, what I would say is, and I, what comes to my mind is Paul in the Areopagus, as he's seeking to engage with the lost of his time, that he had a very good grasp of the poetry and the philosophy of the day than which people use to identify and express themselves and their understandings and views. Uh, similarly, I think in our current age, one of the ways in which our culture and society seeks to express itself is through the medium of media, specifically music, movies, and even writings. And so I think that in learning these things, and investigating these things, even if it's not buying comic books, but even going on Wikipedia and just looking up a character and reading their background, I think it's very helpful to understand these things for the sake of being able to understand what are people trying to, uh, what message is trying to be presented to society and what are people buying into and why, so that we are better evangelists and better able to engage culture for the sake of winning culture to Christ. And so that's the primary thing that comes to my mind personally is using this and understanding these things so that we're able to take a diagnosis of where our society is and how we can engage with it. Do you think it's legitimate to use some of these stories as illustrations of gospel truths? I absolutely do. I don't think necessarily so in the pulpit as uh, being of, I think, exegetically, I think using uh, 
various antidotes, biblical antidotes, and those kinds of things can be helpful there. But I think as we seek to engage in evangelistic opportunities, that these can be helpful antidotes in order to let culture know that we understand that we're a part of it, that we are here and we're engaging and we know, we understand. And it can also be helpful as many of these, these stories were designed that way. And the Christ narrative is central to all human understanding and all narratives in which humans seek to make in order to understand the world around them. Good analysis. We are challenging Christians to analyze the culture and then prayerfully execute gospel solutions. Amen.